Aloha, it's Joe, aka the Curvy Geeky Fangirl, and I am back yet again. I'm gonna keep applauding my own consistency because it's just me. So, you know? Anyway, I'm back again. Uh, as always, I'm here for the Curvy Geeky Fangirl podcast, aka CGF Recaps. This is the place, the space, where I talk about all of the geeky stuff that I've kind of devoured throughout my week. Typically, it is TV and film. Sometimes it's a book. Sometimes it's random other things. It's my show. I just put whatever I want in here. And usually it's TV. So there's that. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, on my website, curvygeekyfangirl.com. I am currently the editor of the fashion and lifestyle section of For All Nerds. Com, so you guys should go definitely go check that out. You can find this podcast through the Anchor app, iTunes, Google Play Music. I keep saying Google Play Music like a question because I still don't know if that's a thing because I don't have an Android or if it's now Google Play Podcasts or just Google Podcasts. It's one of those. So it's over there. There's also Stitcher and a g- bunch more. There's a bunch more. Wherever you listen to podcasts, more than likely, I'm going to show up there. So if I show up there and you guys are listening, please show up and show out. I need you to subscribe. If you can, I need you to leave a review of some sort. Nice things. I'm down for a good critique. Not so much for trolling. But you know, I understand that's the yin and yang of the world. But if you guys get the chance to do so, please do so. It definitely helps me out. And this week, I am going to be talking about DCTV, per always. I'm covering Supergirl, Black Lightning, The Flash, Legends of Tomorrow, the latest episode of Titans. I'm going to be talking about the latest episode of Midnight Texas. And I'm also going to squeeze in there some holiday geekery that I'm excited to see that's coming out in the month of December. So stay tuned for that as well. As you guys may or may not know, I go heavy into the spoilers. So heavy duty spoilers into all of these shows that I just mentioned. If you aren't about that spoiler life, please pause here, catch up on the shows, and then come right on back so we can have this discussion. I wanna know about your feelings because I'm definitely sharing my feelings. It's all good in a hood. That was really bad, but just bear with me. It's fine, it's fine. So I'm gonna be kicking it off with Supergirl as always, right after this. All right, so we're gonna be jumping right into Supergirl, and uh, we're gonna start with first is the worst, which is Lena, because Lena is the worst. Lena is the worst. So uh, basically, what's happening with Lena in this episode, she's moved on to her live test subjects. She's moved on to her live test subjects with the Haranel magic science that she's created. She's figured out how to make hearts indestructible. Even though they have these tumors on them, they're now indestructible, which I guess somehow correlates to them being healthy, okay? And now she needs to test it in a person. So this is all about how they found a person to test this on. Um, And I don't know why. Well, no, I know why. I know why they give us so much information on this guy. We got like a ridiculous amount of information on a character we're never ever gonna see past this episode. And it's all about this guy and how he needed a liver transplant. He needed some sort of organ transplant, which he got from his brother. But then his brother passed, like after getting the transplant. And he blames himself. He feels like he killed his brother to live just so his brother could die. 
And Alina, of course, is there to be like, no, no, that's not what happened. And he's basically telling her, like, he's willing to throw his life away because his brother did the same thing. And if this means that it's going towards a good cause, yada, yada, blah, 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 blah. The reason I don't care about this is because I feel like this is all to set up how Lena is a villain, but not a villain in the way we would normally picture one to be. Usually, especially in DC Comics, and any comic, actually, villains are pretty one note. They're bad because they're bad. The end. Like, that's it. That's it. That's usually how they kind of started. And I feel like the show is trying to show us how Lena starts out as like this earnest, integral, or integrity-filled person who kind of goes down this slippery slope of morality and, and ethics, thinking she's doing good, but doing crazy terribleness. Cool, but we don't need four seasons of that. We have four seasons of Lena going down this slippery slope. So anyway, okay. So, and I mean, the flags have been there. I don't know how much more we need to drag these flags out. How much more do we need to drag these flags out? She lies about a lot of stuff. She has a whole thing of kryptonite that she told people she got rid of. She didn't. She lied to James when she said, oh, when she let him think that he had a handle on all of the Guardian legal issues. He didn't. She took care of that. She tries to control him in a lot of capacities for his safety. I say with air quotations because she doesn't think she, he can handle so much of it. And to James' credit, he says he sees her point to an extent. Of course, we don't get to dive into that too much because she's moping. So she had she has a live test subject that we were talking about who uh, we got way too much information on. And I, I know the purpose of that information was to make him seem even more human so that we could feel even more conflicted when Lena does the testing. Except it didn't, I didn't care. So there was that. And mostly I didn't care because I knew as I'm sure a lot of other viewers knew, Lena wasn't gonna stop. She wasn't gonna come to her senses before everything started and be like, nah, I can't test this on people. <laughs> no, she's still a Luther. She's still driven to get these resolutions thinking that she knows everything. So of course it wasn't gonna stop her. So she goes ahead and does this testing. The thing that I God, that just bugged me um, amongst most of the things happening for Lena in her story arc was like, a, at the very beginning, before they kick it off and show us who the subject is, she's having a whole conversation with her assistant and her assistant is trying to validate her, basically convince, you know, let her know that these actions, these testings are going to be appreciated because there's a lot of people who are sick who want to get better, but also there's an oncoming, oncoming war between the humans and the aliens, especially with age, all these children of liberty doing what they're doing and a lot of aliens being like, I'm not going to deal with this shit anymore. She's like, you could stave off the next civil war. Word, word show, word. She's, she's gonna create an indestructible human and it's gonna stave off a civil war for the show. The whole point that we're seeing right now in the show is that you've got the have nots, meaning you've got the, the humans who don't have super abilities, they don't have these special powers, they don't have these like weaponized abilities whatsoever. And the haves, which are these aliens who granted are born this way and needed these functionalities on the planets they're from. But now that are on earth, it's giving them like these crazy edges in dominance for the planet. So I don't see how creating a superhuman staves that off. Like how, how does that work? Like if I create a serum for superhumans so that they're now indestructible 
And I add the caveat that you have to pass whatever a test I have created in my head to get these serums. You're still going to have a pool of haves and have nots. And so you're still going to have people who feel it's unfair that they, just because they weren't giving these things or able to purchase these things, that they need to fight whoever has them. And you're still going to have other people who now feel like they're a step above everybody else because they do have them. Like that's not going to. That's, that's not going to stop a civil war. That's just going to help edge one on. I didn't, I didn't understand that saying. Also, when she's talking to her test subject about why she chose him, she gives a spider analogy. She's like, yeah, one of the questions on this questionnaire we gave you was, what do you do about a spider you find in the shower? Do you wash it down the drain or do you move it from the shower? And his answer apparently was none of the above. You leave it alone because you don't know what it wants. Because <laughs> you don't know what the spider wants. And she was like, perfect answer. Because <laughs> the last thing I want to do is create a superhero. Bitch, what are you trying to put into fruition right now? What do you mean the last thing you want to do is create a superhero? You trying to create super villains? What are you talking about? What are you talking about, bitch? Why would you create this? And be like, all right, so now you are immune to everything. Go live your regular life. How? How? Okay, so just just a lot of things I don't understand about Lena. She gets caught up in her feelings because, of course, her test subject dies. Dies. And in cold Luther fashion, she completes them notes. She gets these details on the notes for everything that she's done to this poor person who's dead now. But apparently she's got good, she got, she managed to get good data on what happens when you introduce it into a human host. And now the chances of survival are way higher. Now, now it's in the 80 percentile. What the fuck? Just, okay. So she's the worst. Moving on. We also have Jimmy, a.k.a. James Olsen, who continues to be dumb. Who continues to be dumb. So remember last episode prior to this one, James was all hopeful that he could talk to the Children of Liberty managed to get in contact with the leader, agent of Liberty, and just talk them down from the craziness that they've been executing on behalf of Liberty. James, James, what? Again, uh, no, just, okay, so if you listen to my last episode, I went on a rant about how James is the only black man on this show. And again, I'm gonna reiterate, yes, we have John Jones. Yes, we do have John. However, He's a Martian, and he was not born a black man. He was born a green Martian. So, come at me. Also, <laughs> don't really come at me. But also, like, honestly, Jimmy's the only character in this show who was born a black man and who's going to die a black man in this series. It's just him. But for whatever reason, he refuses to remember any of our history for some reason. They make mention about the difficulties for minority groups in the show, so we have a shared history. I'm sure the civil rights movement was something that happened in that show. But for whatever reason, between these white guys putting hoods on him and kidnapping him, their German dogs just pointing out aliens left and right. Like, I just, he's just like, well, maybe I can talk to them. I mean, I didn't want to agree with Lena in the previous episode when she basically said he couldn't handle anything, but she is so right. So... James gets his wish. The He gets sent to meet the bigger heads of control for this Children of Liberty group. He goes to this island. Instead of it being Ellis Island, 
which history books is where a lot of immigrants came through and were processed and terribly and cruelly treated uh, as they came into the Americas. Apparently, this is an island for a lot of aliens to come through when they're making their way into Earth. I don't know why it's a national city, but sure. So that's happening. They took over the island. I don't know if it got abandoned or what. Like, they gave a history as to why no one's on it anymore. I didn't really care because clearly we're just using it for the purpose of having a headquarters for them. So they get to this island. He meets with a masked agent of liberty. Clearly it's not agent of liberty. As viewers, we know it's Ben Lockwood and Ben's doing his show. He's hanging with his family. He's nowhere near the island. So whoever this new person is, they're very much doing a Spartacus with this we are all agents of liberty situation. And basically telling James, to his face, yeah, uh, thanks for coming. Now we're gonna manipulate you into doing what we want so that we can say Guardian is validating us. Great, thanks, come on aboard. There's a guy named Tom who he had, I don't wanna say befriended. It was the guy he was doing his walk-alongs with who set up the meeting and he gets betrayed. Of course he gets betrayed and he looks at Tom and it's, it's like, you're an idiot, you're an idiot. James Olsen. He gets quarantined, he gets not quarantined, but he gets jailed. He gets put into a, a room that's on the island. Tom comes to free him. I don't trust Tom. <laughs> I don't trust Tom. He set up the meeting. But he's like, I'm sorry. I didn't know they were going to do this. And he gives Jimmy his shield as a guardian shield. And he's like, we need to make our escape. So they try to escape. Oh, clearly doesn't work. Clearly they got tipped off, probably by Tom. And he the new those children of liberty capture Tom and James, and they're basically like, "We're gonna kill Tom if you leave." And of course, James is like, "We can't have that happen. I'll do what you need me to do." Stupid, stupid. So it turns out they need him to create a video where he's denouncing any kind of aliens on Earth, completely siding with the children of liberty, and then blowing up a building. That's what's supposed to be happening. And he doesn't ask why he has to blow up a building. He's got questions about having to say this script about denouncing things and embracing other things that he would never ever do. But he's never like, why do we need to blow up this building? Like that's odd. It's not even a building that's a symbol for anything. It's just a building. No questions. Okay. So clearly things don't go too planned, but it's not because James stops it or anything. So in the midst of them recording this, he's in full guardian at where, and he decides to divert from script. And he's like, and I will never, ever be one of them for blah, 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 blah. Fighting ensues, somebody still hits the button. Turns out that building they're trying to blow up, it's got Supergirl in it. And that was the whole point. They were trying to show guardian, completely denouncing aliens and showing him to be the one that got rid of Supergirl. Show. Uh, I will talk about how Supergirl got in that building in a second. I just, I mean, cause James starts fighting. Of course, Kara makes it out the last minute. It's a whole situation. And then we end the episode with him being like, yeah, I can't believe how foolish I was. Oh my God, James. Really? Really? And now he's like, yeah, I'm not going to write a full tell article about how they're just, you know, how these children of liberty are wrong. Where was this eight episodes ago, bruh? I'm not giving you claps for this, Jimmy. You are terrible. So there's that. And then he tries to go and like reconnect with Lena because apparently now we can see why she was hesitant to have him be so involved with the Children of Liberty because he's dumb, he's gullible. But anyway, he's trying to like make peace with Lena because they had a whole fight. 
And she's not really having it because, you know, she had just killed the whole person and she's been lying to everybody about her human testing. So she's like, I'm busy. Come back another time. And he's like, okay. And who cares? Next one. Kara, her arc was relatively short for it being her show. Basically, it's all about her trying to infiltrate the Children of Liberty. She kind of befriends Manchester Black. They team up to get more information about what's been going on and where the headquarters are for Children of Liberty. Find out where the headquarters are. She gives him a ridiculous amount of exposition about the island. I guess you could argue he needed to know what was happening, except that she was trying to disarm the very thing that was going to stop her. So she didn't need to tell him Jack. But anyway, she tells Manchester Black that there is uh, there's power inhibitors on the island. And apparently that's needed to help process the aliens for some reason to make sure that I guess they can't hurt. Any- I don't understand why we need them there. But they're there, these dampeners. But she has a way around that. So she can carry a portable yellow sun with her, the Dio cooked up so that she can, you know, manage to keep her powers even though the dampeners are here. Of course, Manchester, uh, in a crazy twist, betrays her. I didn't see the betrayal happening. I mean, I knew he was going to go off and do what he wanted to do because he's on this vendetta kick, but I didn't see him fully handing Supergirl over. But to his credit, he's very honest about the fact that he will do anything to get to Agent of Liberty to avenge Fiona. Like, he says that up front. It's kind of what I like about his character. Yes, he is terrible and selfish and self-serving, and completely honest about all of it. He does not go back and forth. There's no gray area. He's like, this is this, and this is why everybody gotta die. Done. So basically he gives up Kara to the Children of Liberty. She's all shocked, and he's not, he's not shocked. But the deal was, he gives him Kara, they give him Agent of Liberty. He meets an Agent of Liberty, but clearly it's not the one who runs the show, and he figures it out really, really fast. So because they didn't hold up their end of the deal, he ends up being the one to help free Kara. He gets rid of the dampeners, she gets her powers back, and she gets out. We also had Manchester and Jean. They had a little moment there too. Jean has constantly been trying to be his Jiminy Cricket, as if, as if it were his conscience. Fiona was his conscience, and then of course she was brutally tortured and murdered. So John has been trying to pick up the slack on that. He's trying to be like, you don't have to be this crazy murderer. You can be, you can be a, a whole person. And Manchester's like, no, nope, I can't. I can't do it. I have to, you know, get this vendetta on Fiona. He gets a device that literally traps John in his feelings. Like he's trapped in feelings. Like a Drake song. No explanation nothing just yep i happen to have this and now you're stuck bye like <laughs> he leaves and he leaves he escapes jean and then we ended with jean going to Kara's apartment full tears just crying about how wrong he was to trust manchester black end of episode this episode was weird it was all over the place it didn't really move the story forward a whole lot other than no, it didn't. We just got a lot of filler. We got a lot of filler, a lot of double crossings. Maybe Jimmy finally saw the light and is now like, yeah, I can't fuck with these children of liberty anymore. I tried. I tried to see it from their point of view. It's not happening. Hopefully that's what's happening. We didn't get any follow-up to Nia's dreams that she's been having. They randomly dropped in there in the previous episode to this that she has some kind of sleep situation She's lying and saying it's necro, ne- necromancy, ne- <laughs> what's it called? Narcolepsy. So he's lying and saying it's narcolepsy and then changing her mind and saying that's not narcolepsy later. Like, 
It was really random. It came out of nowhere. And they didn't talk about it at all in this latest episode. Or the episode I'm talking about right now. Another episode dropped on Sunday. The newest episode I haven't seen just yet. And I'll be talking about it next week. But right now, this episode was just all over the place. And just made a lot of these characters look stupid. Maybe that's the point. I don't know. That's what's happening in Supergirl. I'm going to be talking about Black Lightning right after this. What up, everybody? It is Joe, a.k.a. the Curvy Geeky Fangirl. And I just want to take a moment to talk to you guys about For All Nerds. Dot com. So you guys know, if you've been listening, I am a contributor or was a contributor to a lovely podcast slash pop culture media sensation called fanbros.com. Uh, they've recently gone through a name change because this one's just better and it is called forallnerds.com. They are still doing the podcast also under the For All Nerds name. So you should definitely check it out if you get the chance. Your girl has recently been elevated in title. So I am now the fashion and lifestyle editor for forallnerds.com. So if you get the chance, absolutely take it go ahead and check it out. Check out the website. It's fancy and new. It's just so shiny and bright. I've got articles there. My first ever interview is there. It's done with Marcy Harrell if you get the chance. I also have my regular fandom fashion breakdowns and I'm trying to do something a little newer by including articles about where you can buy already ready-made geek fantastic outfits at stores that are centered around that dynamic. So check out forallnerds.com. Check out their podcast, For All Nerds. Get in on this geeky information, this geeky insight. It is told by geeks of color from the perspective of nerds of color because yes, all of the things and whatnot. All right, moving on to Black Lightning. Um, this episode was, well, it was an immediate follow-up to what was happening in the previous episode with the Sanji and the Purdy and these babies and Looker, who was an evil Alex Mack. And we just kind of pick up where they left off. So we have uh, Jefferson going through the forests here, trying to find this, the other baby that got kidnapped by the Sanji and Looker. And as he's doing so, he comes across a bunch of black, seemingly dead people that are strung up on trees. They're not hanging in like a lynched way, like by the neck. It's by the feet, like their catch of the day. It's still unnerving and crazy creepy giving the the pretense of the fact that we're in like a country rural area and the people that he's about to infiltrate are like these well, very interesting white people. So Jefferson finally makes his way over to where the Sanji are. He's low on power. So he does have limitations on his power. It doesn't, it doesn't automatically just keep renewing itself. He's got to siphon it from other sources and he's in the woods. There's not a lot of electricity out in the woods so he's filtering out he's teetering out basically he gets captured by the sanji and they kind of hold him in a basement and they have him chained to what looks to be the metal frame of a bed picture so we so she's got him in there and then she gives him she gives him this speech this creepy speech about how she's uh, been a friend of his from afar she's been um like admiring his work. And uh, she kind of sees herself like him because she too has been cleaning up her area and getting rid of the guns and the drugs. And he's just glaring at her the entire time. And at first I'm like, I'm not sure why, maybe because she stole the baby. 
But then he's like, oh, and you know, you forgot about being racist. And she's like, what? Are you saying I'm a racist just because I'm a proud white American woman? And you know, if you say, oh, she gave him this whole speech about how, you know, it's, it's gotta be nice and convenient to be a minority because then you can say you're black and you're proud. But if you're part of the majority and you're a white person and you say you're white and you're proud, it means you're a racist. Well, and then, you know, to back up uh, Jefferson's stance on things, he looks at her Confederate flag and looks back at her. <laughs> and she's like, that doesn't mean anything. And he's like, well, how about the black people you got strung up in the trees? Because, I mean, that's a statement. And she's like, no, those are purdy. So that doesn't count. <laughs> and we only killed them because they killed one of ours. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's just, it got real creepy real fast. But that little bit of a speech... Whew, really close to home, really close to home there with that whole speech. It was very much tiki torches. Uh, we're taking back our land. Nonsense. Really creepy and scary. And this is like, ooh, show. Thankfully, they kind of like bypass it really fast. And she gets into torturing him. She starts shocking him, wondering where the baby is. And then it turns out she doesn't need to know from Jefferson where the baby is. She can sense the baby. So she's like, kill him with electricity and tries to, and like, leave it on until he's dead and rolls out. Some, this is the same girl who said she's been a huge fan of his and has been following his work. Wouldn't she know that electricity doesn't hurt him? Clearly, apparently she doesn't. So they basically recharge him. And of course he kicks ass and gets the hell out of there. Gets the baby, makes it home. He also finds out Gamby is alive. He comes across a drone Gamby used to help help them when they were fighting the Sanji in the woods and realizes and is able to trace it to get the tracer that's in there and trace it right back to the source and get back to Gamby. They have a nice little speech. I appreciated the meetup. I liked that it wasn't just him open arms ready to forgive. I liked that he was mad. He was mad that Gamby hid and like even though Gamby gives him a very reasonable explanation He's still pissed about it, but begrudgingly gives him a hug. So I thought I like that. I like their little moment because this, this is his, this is his father. This is the guy that took up the mantle to take care of him. I liked it. I liked that little moment we had. And then um, moving on into a Nissa slash Lynn situation, pretty brief. They also were kind of t- cornered around the Sanji Purdy situation. They're with Anaya, who's the mom of the twins. Uh, basically trying to keep her hidden and keep her safe while they're waiting for the other baby to get there. They get tipped off by Jefferson. That looker is on their way. I still don't know why Anaya, or Anaya, why Anissa brought Lynn to help. I mean, Lynn is a scientist, but, and I mean, she's got a doctorate. She knows a lot about biology. Anissa's a doctor. Anissa's a doctor. Why did we need Lynn? But anyway, so Lynn comes. They have a whole moment there where they're checking on the baby and the baby's blood kind of calls to the silver substance that Anissa's got a sample of. No answers as to why this is important or what this means moving forward. They're just like, that's weird. And then we get into the fighting. Looker shows up. Anissa has to go full thunder. She's kicking ass, taking names. Pins Looker, or did Jefferson pin Looker? Somebody pin Looker to the wall. There was like a thing that was sticking out from the warehouse and they pinned her into it it didn't kill her miraculously she's just she's just crazy hurt and jefferson decides that they're just gonna turn looker over to the asa because that sounds safe it doesn't it doesn't this is the same group that was testing kids with green light so this is clearly gonna bite them in the ass later but they don't ask any questions right now 
uh, to sum up the whole Sanji Purdy situation, basically after a Anissa or Jefferson critically hurts Looker, all her silver substance kind of drains out of her followers. So now they're free and they you kind of see them wake up and they get the hell out of Dodge, they get the hell out of there. And then we see Anaya reuniting with her father and we find out in the scuffle of things, her mother died. No explanation. Also, why did that need to happen? No clue, but her father's alive and now he begrudgingly accepts these babies and they're gonna be moving forward. Again, no answers with these children, why they can do what they can do, why this is important at all. Move on to the next thing. The next thing is Jennifer and Khalil. Jennifer, Jennifer. Jennifer is on my list of being terrible. She, this is a, a character who's been trying my patience for some time now though. She's playing the angsty teen. She's playing the, the character where, you know, she feels like so much is coming at her at once and she's overwhelmed, but she's also mad about it. And she's like how her parents are handling it. But at the same time, she feels isolated and alone. So many things, so many things with Jen. And we see her and Khalil getting closer and closer episode after episode. This episode sees them hanging out and like really kind of like, I guess meeting on even ground type of way. It's a whole thing where he know Khalil knows he's fucked up. He knows that Tobias is going to kill him. The next time he sees Tobias, he gonna be dead because he hasn't been doing what Tobias has told him to do. And he keeps running away. So there's that. And Jen was on the fence about telling him what she could do. And then she finds herself in a situation where she has to tell him. There's a whole scene where she's talking to her therapist and she's kind of glossing over the fact that she wants to be with Khalil, but she doesn't want to give any names away. And her whole thing is like being with Khalil makes her feel normal. And that's all she wants right now is to feel normal. Granted, she did wake up one day and discover she had powers. And then she woke up and found out that she'd been lied to her entire life. That's a lot. It is a lot of things to handle. But this is the same girl who not but two episodes ago was crying about how she can't control anything and she's so scared to hurt somebody. But then on the same breath, she's mad that she can't hang out with her friends or go to school. What? Anyway, anywho, she and Khalil uh, get themselves in a situation. Khalil is on the run from Tobias. He, for whatever dumbass reason, calls Jen and is like, yeah, I'm about to die. <laughs> like Tobias is about to find me. Oh, so I'm calling you to let you know I love you. Bye. So, of course, Jen is like, I'm going to come help you. Let me know where you are. He's like, oh, girl, you can't help me. And she's like, I got to. You would do it for me. Tell me where you are. And he does. Mind you, Khalil doesn't know she has powers. He, Khalil doesn't know she has powers. What the hell is she going to do when she gets there? Anyway, so she gets there. Uh, he gets trapped. But she figures out where he is. And she manages to take out the lackeys that are coming after him. While they're hiding, waiting for the coast to clear, she lets him know what's going on. She's got special abilities. She's been feeling lost ever since. He's telling her about how he felt once he got his abilities, even though it's not the same. It's not the same. He made a deal with the devil and she was born with these powers. So there's that. But basically it was just became this whole teen I love you song as they're waiting in the shadows. And he goes to kiss her and he gets like a little shock because <laughs> she's still learning how to control her abilities. But they decided that, oh no, this is it. We are it. We're loved ones. And then towards the end of all of this, they decided, well, we're just going to run away together. Khalil can't stay in town because Tobias is after him. Jen feels like nobody cares about her because she's dumb, because she's dumb as hell. And it's like, well, Khalil cares about me. So I'm going to run away with him. Girl, 
girl, this is how you end up on boxes. Anyway, so that's how we end Black Lightning with Jen making the terrible decision to run off with Khalil because dumbness. There is a organized crime mob boss after your dumbass boyfriend, who, by the way, killed your dad. You had to bring your dad back to life because that fool killed him. And you're like, nope, it's love. And I'm out. Jen. Jen! So next episode, who knows what's happening. I didn't even look at the previews for next episode. I hope we get more Tobias. I hope something happens where Jefferson has to slap the ish out of Khalil at the very least. He's not going to lay hands on Jen, even though I think somebody should shake her now. Or maybe uh, Maxine, the therapist. That's not her real name for the show, but she's the, that's the only name I'm ever going to remember her by. If Maxine <laughs> shakes her into reality, like you have, there's consequences to your actions, girl. Ridiculousness. Something, anything. The show is still really good. It just, there's these moments where it works my nerve. And I think that's because I care about the characters as a whole. And I want them to do better. And then they just keep not doing it. And it just gets frustrating. So, you know. But that's pretty much it for Black Lightning. I'm gonna jump real quick into the Flash. This episode was filler. There wasn't a whole lot happening in Flash. Surprise, surprise. The biggest thing to come out of Flash is that Team Flash finally knows who Cicada is. We've known for quite a few episodes now, six-ish, seven-ish episodes by now, who Cicada is, and they just discovered uh, who this person is. To be fair to the show, the team has been working from nothing. They didn't know where this guy came out of. They managed to piece it together that he was related to the satellite that fell, the dark matter and the satellite that fell and how it's creating these meta objects. They realized that he's carrying a meta object. He's not necessarily meta himself. They realized that uh, there's probably a kid involved. I don't know how they made the leap to a kid. Be- oh no, because they thought it was a father. They uh, Cause Joe was like, he's got some kind of like father essence about him. So they were looking for a kid. They they narrowed it down to three suspects and then found out that it's really just one. And when they tried to get more information about it, the doctor kind of cock blocked them. She basically stopped them from finding out too much without lying, technically. And then uh, they discovered it anyway. So Sherlock managed to think of the brilliant plan of just like monitoring the CTVs that are in the hospital to see who's visiting the lone child they has they had as a suspect. And then, of course, it came down to one person, and now they know who Cicada is. Okay, a couple of things about this particular episode. One, we got a weather witch. So we had a big bad for the episode, which they normally do for Flash. They have, like, the, they have an overarching storyline, and then you have, like, these mini bosses they have to get to. And we had one in Weather Witch. They created this character called Weather Witch. She's the daughter of the Weather Wizard from the first season. Weather Wizard was somebody who was a literal meta. He could control weather on his own. Whether which is the daughter of him and some person who has a meta object that allows her to control the weather. What I did appreciate about Weather Witch was the twist they gave us. So you see her and she's just looking for her dad. She's like, give me my dad. And you think she's trying to free him so they can be together. Cause there's a whole storyline with Nora and Barry and the back and forth there. Turns out, no, no, she wants to kill this dude. She's trying to kill her dad. That's why she wanted him. Hilarious. So hysterical. She just wanted to kill this fool. So that was cool. That was fun. That and her outfit. Whoever her stylist slash tailor is who created this outfit for her, 
They did a great job. I appreciated it, the outfit. I want to know who the tailor is. And like, where do you go to be like, listen, I'm about to be a villain. I need something that says villain, you know, but, but also sleek and sophisticated. Cause this person was on point. So I'm just mad nobody talked about her outfit. Um, outside of that, it was just more Nora feelings, more Nora and her feelings. First she was mad at Iris, mad, mad, mad. Now she was mad at Barry because sure. Yeah, whatever. I don't care. I don't care at this point. I, if this next episode also figures out a way to keep Nora in her feelings, I'm, I'm just like, what's happening in the writer's room right now, guys? This seems to happen a lot with Flash where like the campiness and the goodiness and when they're on a good streak writing wise, it keeps you entertained. And then you hit these spots, these lulls where you're like, what is happening? And that was this episode. Not a lot happened, not a lot to move the story forward other than for the final unveiling of Cicada. But there's still no plan in place to stop him or anything. Like, I don't. Also, we're not even talking about the consequences of Nora staying as long as she has. She's still in the, she's still chilling in her past, messing stuff up. Like, didn't Barry have to get the hell out of his timeline because he screwed up so bad? I'm so confused. But no one's talking about it. So, okay. We'll just keep it, we'll just keep it moving, I guess. That's all that's happening. Uh, Legends was the same way. Legends was a, well, like I always say, Legends is not at all on the same caliber level of like Black Lightning or Flash. You're not watching it episode to episode to be like, oh yes, I want to know about the grander story. It's there to give you fluff so you can get in, you can get out. This last episode was no different. There was a Minotaur involved that escaped. You had the team trying to work together. They also were faced with an audit. So Nate's dad, uh, who was being played by Biff Tan, came along. Uh, he They gave him this storyline where he was looking about or he's trying to audit them for, for money, basically, trying to see what their, their expenditures are and why it's so high. Goes with them on this quest to stop the Minotaur. It does result in him having to sing a Minotaur to sleep. That was a delight. I appreciated that. Outside of that, not much else was happening in the episode. We had a separate standalone arc with um, Mona, who's the new hiree for the monsters they've been ca- capturing. She's feeding them. And Ava and on Nora Dark. Those three girls got together, very Babysitter's Club-esque. They got trapped in a room. They had to talk to each other. Mona is becoming a favorite. She is. She's like crazy optimistic. She knows how to handle these monsters. She treats them humanely. She's trying to do like like as much as she can for them to make them feel comfortable. It's really cute. She's also really good at getting the others to open up to each other, which was adorable. But again, not really needed for the episode, but I appreciated it nonetheless. That was pretty much it. Legends of Tomorrow. A Minotaur, some singing, a little girl's night situations happening. End of episode. End of episode for Legends of Tomorrow. We're going to be moving on to Titans right after this. All right, so moving into Titans. I don't really have a lot to say about Titans because it didn't do anything. So we came back to Titans. I want to say this is episode eight. Pretty sure this is episode eight. Basically, it's after the asylum. It's kind of after the clim- the climax of everything. The group that's been after Raven, they've now faced and gotten away from. They've reunited Raven with her mother. And now it's kind of like the aftermath. So you've got Dick being Dick. He decides that he needs to now separate from the group. He refuses to even call them a team. 
And he's just talking about how he needs to refind himself because now he's no longer Robin, which he's been saying the entire season. So, okay, whatever. I mean, it introduces us to Helen Troy, I want to say. Is her name Donna Troy? Wonder Girl. Introduces us to Wonder Girl. Because you're not familiar with Wonder Girl, because I was not. I had to remember that she was in Young Justice. Basically, she, depending on the incarnation that you're looking at, this particular girl is supposed to be the sister of Wonder Woman. So, which is confusing because I, I only know Wonder Woman through the movie. And they established in there she was created specifically to help stop War God. Because sure. So I'm, I, I guess they had time and trial to go ahead and create a bunch of other people. Many questions. But so apparently this Troy person is just walking around, aka Wonder Girl. She's doing her own thing. Her and Robin go way back. Uh, it, she's basically his sounding board. That he's trying to figure out things. They have their own little adventure involving somebody who's like bringing animals in illegally. I don't know what was happening there. I also don't really care. Um, so, because so, it's around Dick Grayson. And I'm sorry, he's the most boring titan on the show. Then we have what's happening with Corey and the others. So Corey, Raven, and Garfield, aka Beast Boy, and Raven's mom, have jumped on the train. They're trying to head back to Raven's mom's place. That's the plan. Uh, Corey's kind of going through it. She's dealing with a lot of the aftermath from being, I don't know, cut open at the asylum. She is being at the asylum, the the trauma of being at the asylum and everything else that they've gone through is starting to trigger her memories. And she's getting like little glimpses here and there of a memory and it's kind of freaking her out. It's also made her mad paranoid. There's a whole situation where she thinks a guy is part of a different group and is threatening to kill him. And he's just like, no, I'm just, I'm just a creepy guy who was staring at you because I thought you were a hooker like the whole time. So they have that little incident, but then eventually cops get called to their train and I'm not, and they're trying to say it's because there was a warrant out for Corey this, this whole time, which should be related to the murders that happened and whatever country that was when she first wakes up in the car. It's kind of a loose deal because A, we can't binge this service. So unless you watched all the episodes prior to this latest episode, you wouldn't even remember that she's wanted by the, by the FBI. And then secondly, she gets out of that situation super fast. Stupid super fast. Her and the others, they all get out of there. It's Raven Beast Boy, Corey, Raven's mom. They make it back to Raven's mom's place. The clincher or the actual exciting part of what happened in this whole episode was that Corey gets her memories back. So there's a whole point there where Raven reaches out to Corey and is like, I can help you get these memories back. And she's walking her through how to do so. And then it works. Corey gets her memories back. And then we find out at the same time while Dick is talking to Wonder Girl, uh, who can read Corey's language, by the way. She says it's it's a type of something, whatever. But basically, um, it looks like Corey, a.k.a. Starfire, which is the first time we've heard that name in the show, actual Starfire, has been sent to stop Raven, potentially, or control her. It's either she's like, it's either control her or kill her. That makes sense. It doesn't make sense. It's how we can set up a cliffhanger. So they're like, oh, okay, danger. Um, and then, yeah, so Corey gets her memory back. Her eyes go crazy. And then she immediately puts Raven in a chokehold and we end the episode. The end. That's it. That's all that happened. A lot of travel, a lot of talking for no reason. Corey, Corey getting her memory back and then trying to choke Raven. 
that's it and we end it and then the the previews for next episode don't even pick up with what's happening right now in the house we're gonna get another flashback for hawk and dove for what reason i don't know why are they integral to this story they're not but we're that's what we're getting we're getting a backstory to hawk and dove because i don't care and dc apparently just likes torturing people for no reason this is a 10 episode series this next episode is going to be episode nine what the fuck end of titans we also had oh no that's it that's all that's all i had that was the end of my dc tv tv shows that's it that's it on the ridiculousness again titans is a show much like probably all the other shows i've been talking about where i enjoy them like titans i really want to enjoy titans but they give, they're giving me such an Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. vibes. When Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. first dropped on ABC, I was mad excited. I was hyper excited they're going to have this co- created, connected universe with a TV series and all the movies that have been dropping. Awesome. But that's not what we got in that first season. I know some people love Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I had high hopes for that first season. I gave it my best for that first season. I even came back to it like every so often. I just could never stick with it. And it was one of, it's one of those shows where I had these expectations for it and it just never got there. And it just never s- clicked with me. This show, I really wanna like this show. They have standalone moments where I'm like, this is great, but it's not enough in like a connected way <laughs> that I'm like, this is terrible. I was reading somewhere where somebody was going on, they were giving a very glowing review on the fact that DC decided to stagger or basically do like this one episode per week drop off for their series like they appreciated it they liked having the time to digest it and think it over and it gave them something to look forward to the next week they didn't they weren't fans of having it be all bingeable in one go like they they were not fans of it they they don't like the pacing when it's binge yeah, yeah 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 i hard disagree i hard disagree I feel like when you get to binge it, you retain a lot of the setup, a lot of the foundation that they're creating for the series. Prime example, can uh, okay, Stranger Things. Prime example being Stranger Things. You had an eight episode series. They did a wonderful job of creating a setup for you, a middle climate, you know, climactic action middle, and a payoff at the end, but it, but still managed to give you a bit of a cliffhanger so that you would come back for the next season. Did they repeat that magic for the second season? I mean, that is up to you. But they definitely nailed it for that first season. And I feel like in a bingeable format, it gives you, in my opinion, well, as a viewer, it gives me a lot more time to retain everything so that it makes sense when I'm seeing other stuff come to come to the front end. Corey being wanted by the FBI, I completely forgot that she was connected to that at all because they haven't mentioned it in like four episodes, which is four weeks, which is a lot of time to forget these other smaller details. I mean, yes, you could definitely go back and rewatch these because once they put it out, you can then go ahead and binge what's already available while you're waiting for the new stuff. But because I've already had to wait and because I'm already soured on, <laughs> on what's happening in the episode, it's not making me want to binge it. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. I'm hoping this test run lets them fine tune it for the next season because we all know there's a next one. We know they're coming up with another one. So so we're going to get this filler of an episode for next week as well. And then whatever this finale is supposed to be. 
Who knows? I don't know if they're going to give us another twist where Raven's mom is not her mom. Or is Hawk and Dove one of them? One of them, the parents? I don't know why we need this Hawk and Dove. Honestly. What do they have to do with this? Anyway, so that's what's going on with Teen Titans. I'm going to be moving on into Midnight, Texas right after this. Hey, it's Joe, aka the Curvy Geeky Fangirl, and I wanted to take a moment to thank you for listening to this podcast and also to ask you to rate, subscribe, and comment anywhere you hear this podcast because it really helps me out. Just let me know on what it is that you guys like to listen to or what you think I should skip over. You can also reach me through my social medias. I am everywhere as Curvy Geeky Fangirl. With the exception of Twitter, of course, Twitter has limitations. So take out that A and take out that I on Fangirl, but you'll still reach me that way. You can also hit me up at my website, curvygeekyfangirl.com. All right, so now we're into Midnight, Texas. And let me tell you, this last episode of Midnight, Texas, I just, I loved it. I loved all of it. I loved everything. Okay, so I take that back. Not everything. Madonna left. A little upset about that, but... Let's start from the beginning, shall we? So I'm going to break this up like I have been uh, with characters and what was happening in their side arc. So I'm going to kick it off with Olivia and Lem uh, and the stalkery dad. So basically, we kind of picked up where we left off with Olivia. We've known for the last season that her dad is looking for her and has a spy in town, Madonna, to find out about her whereabouts, randomly get some blood from her. Like, it's real weird. It's real creepy. And it kind of all comes to a head for Olivia in this episode. We start the episode off with Olivia dreaming about being pregnant with Lem's baby. Like, first of all, it was so cute. And it wasn't like she completely went full like Stepford wife and was only thinking about being a housewife and having these babies. It was very much Olivia being pregnant. Like (laughs) she's in a black nightie as a pregnant woman, (laughs) just happily folding clothes with Lem. Lem is like beyond happy, just getting ready, getting this nursery ready while they're talking about being this cutesy little family. It was adorable. Naturally, with Lem being a vampire and him having saved Olivia from the last season, they are psychically connected. So he knows she's having this daydream. Olivia wakes up uh, kind of like, oh, wait, wait, am I pregnant? Like that weird half area when you first wake up from a dream and you're like, Is it, did it really happen? Oh, no, it was, okay, it was in my head. Okay, we're fine. She wakes up, gets to her feet uh, and is greeted by Lem, who is human now. Lem is human now, just human, just straight human no blue eyes, regular, just brown eyes, sexy brown eyes. I don't know how, but somehow this man is sexier without these lenses. Well, he looks more human without the lenses, but you know, he's just ridiculously crazy sexy. So I was just like, what? I'm down for human limb. Human limb is goofy. He corny as hell. I love it. Loves ice cream. I just, oh, it was a good episode. So all of that's happening. And basically Lem lets her know, like, you know, he's like, I know that you want these things. I can feel it. We have that connection. And I wanted to make sure it was possible for you. He had gone to Kai to get cured like the Rev had. And now he's like full human. Oh, yeah. I mean, what consequences could that have? Show. Blam. Anyway. But, you know, I mean, it was done in, in complete good intentions. I mean, this is a very earnest person. He's also adorable as a human. When he gets, he orders like a strawberry shake from Madonna and he's just like super giddy about getting a strawberry shake from Madonna. It's so cute. I love it. For that part alone, five stars. 
Uh, what else happens? Um, so, oh, so of course they have to meet up with the dad. So Olivia is hanging out at Madonna's diner. Like, I guess a little bit after hours, like helping her close up. Cause they're friends. They're friends in midnight. And, uh, Madonna does something. She slipped up, basically. And I wonder if it was on purpose. I can't help but think it was on purpose that she left her entire bag on the counter to catch Olivia's attention and and just have the check that her dad wrote her just be chilling in the open. Like, a lot of it was like, okay, girl, clearly you're trying to get caught. She apparently had left her entire bag and its contents just kind of sprawled around the counter. Uh, the cell phone starts ringing on Madonna's bag. Olivia's trying to get her attention, and when she looks back to, like, go grab the phone for her friend, she comes across an envelope that's got her dad's business letterhead on it. Of course, she just goes straight into, like, Olivia panic mode, which is not really a panic so much as I need to kill a fool mode, and starts attacking Madonna. To the shock of me, and I'm sure a lot of other people watching this damn show, Madonna just starts going blow for blow with Olivia. Like, you could fight this whole time? What? We find out Madonna even has a fake leg. Like she don't even have a, she's got a, 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 oh, what do you call it? Oh no, it's not a catalyst, but you know what I mean? She's, she's got a fake leg, a metal one. And she's using that to like help fight. And she's trying to do her best not to hurt Olivia. Olivia gets the upper hand because of course Madonna's not trying to hurt her at all. And she's like, tell me everything. What the hell's happening? And Madonna gives the full deal. She's like, your dad hired me. I used to do special ops. My leg got blown off. I needed work. I got in a dark place. I needed something to focus on. And your dad came into my life, basically. And like he offered me this job and it was a way for me to focus. This was supposed to be like a quick job, but I ended up falling in love with the town and really becoming friends with you. And of course, Olivia's hurt. She's like, you a liar. I can't believe this. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know the history between me and my dad. She's not having it. And it's Olivia. So like once she makes up her mind, she's not going to like him and haw. It's done. She's like, you need to leave or I'm going to kill you. Period. And I'm like, no. Now that my dog got crazy cool, I'm not going to see her. <sighs> anyway, so that happens, which leads Olivia to tracking down her dad. She gets the address, of course, and the contact information from Madonna. And her and Lem go to confront her father. And she's very much like, I'm going to kill him on site she's hurt she's got a lot of pain the story behind olivia that has been coming out from the last year and a half ish or so is that basically when olivia was very young her mother passed her biological mother passed and her father remarried and then for some reason he just up and left olivia with this stepmother and the stepmother was in crazy cruel she was basically pimping Olivia out to grown-ass men to get money or drugs or whatever. And of course, that's going to warp anybody. So Olivia grew up fast. She grew up hard. She became an assassin, you know? And of course, she's like, you know, my dad's a, my dad's a fuckface. Like, he's terrible. He's the worst. So, but she goes, she goes, she's still, you know, in a lot of pain about all of that, this idea of family, which we keep kind of circling back to with Olivia being afraid of having a family, but wanting one at the same time. Like she's got some, some issues she's got to deal with. So she's like, I'm going to face my dad and kill him and then be done with every, <laughs> everything. There we go. Except when they get to the house, she freaks out a little bit because there is an identical nine-year-old version of her, like decorating a tree. The house is dressed for the gods it's like full christmas in there 
I don't even know what time of the year it's supposed to be for midnight because Lem cracks a joke like Christmas this time of year. And I'm like, because we're watching it in December. So I'm like, is it not December there? I have questions, but whatever. So we see uh, an identical nine-year-old version of Olivia. And then she sees her dad and she goes to like get him. And then she sees another person that's very familiar. And it turns out there's an identical version of her mom as well. Mind you, it's the mom she knew as nine-year-old Olivia because the mom passed shortly after whatever time frame this is. So that's enough to give her pause. And it's enough to make her ask a little bit more questions before just, you know, murdering her dad. So she's like having a full conversation with her mom, who she misses the most. That's the person she misses the most out of her family. And it's a second chance for her to get that done. In the midst of all this conversation and Lem like really not liking what's happening, uh, younger Olivia kind of goes off on her own and talks to her dad. And we realize that the younger Olivia is starting to fade out of existence. It's very creepy. And the dad, rather than panic, is like, okay, well, you know what? I'm going to distract you by have you, having you do some other activity. And I'm going to go sneak in the back and link to my book of dark magic. It's going to be fine. He opens up this book, starts mumbling some sort of spell, dropping blood into it. And Lord knows what else. But we find out he's using dark magic to create like a living diorama of a Christmas that he either fabricated or something that really happened back in the day and he's got this whole speech about how he's made terrible choices and he just wants to be able to go back in time and fix it and get his family back yeah 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 nothing in there about how he is going to be a better person moving forward just about how he needs to fix things in the past cool no it's terrible but we find out that's why he needed olivia's blood to do this spell So he's doing a renewal spell on this thing so he can keep the other younger Olivia around. And it somehow taps into the existing living adult version Olivia. And all of a sudden she goes full Stepford and they all are singing Christmas carols and Lim doesn't know what to do. And of course now Lim's a human, so he's useless. So basically he calls in reinforcements. He gets a hold of Fiji, who's going through her own thing. We will get to in a second. And it's just basically like uh, backup, mayday, mayday. And then he gets hit over the head by the father because we have to have that moment where somebody goes villain and is like I'm not going to let you stop whatever maniacal plan I have in part, in place right now and uh but it, you know here to made his call of Fiji so we're doing good towards the end of this arc for Olivia and Lamb basically they have the showdown Fiji's got to do her spell and it releases Olivia from the Stepford spell she was under and it allows Olivia to really have a real conversation with her dad now that the doppelgangers are gone and it's a heartbreaking conversation. She fully breaks down. It's just like, why were you such a shit dad to me? Why, you know, why you have to create this fake version of me to and have and be a great father of this fake version when you couldn't even do this for me? And you've got him kind of a kind of apologizing. He's definitely regretful for what happened to Olivia, but he's still not like looking at ways to move forward with their relationship. So he's like, go ahead and kill me because it's not even worth it, blah, 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 blah. And Olivia's sadistic. So she was like, nah, it'd be, it's better if you stay alive and have to deal with all of this madness. So enjoy and rolls out. But the happy ending we get with Olivia and Lem is that she realizes Lem is her family. There's a nice little speech he gives about how him and Olivia are it. They're, They're their new families and they've always been each other's new families. It's very sweet and very cute. 
And I liked it. We get a happy ending for Olivia and Lim. Um, you know who we don't get a happy ending for? Fiji and Bobo. So Fiji and Bobo are going through their own thing. Last episode, Fiji had turned Bobo into a dog. It wasn't a golden retriever. It's a yellow lab. So there's that. Um, but yeah, and Bobo can't talk as a dog for some reason. But then we find out why he's not talking as a dog. And that's because he's going to become a human. So how does he become a human? Basically, Fiji is desperate to find answers on how to lift this curse so her and Bobo can be together. Um, is his name John? I think it is. Yep, no, it's Joe. Joe tells Fiji back in the day, you know, the uh, Salem witches had an underground network to exchange information. He's like, so maybe there's something like that out there in the internet land somewhere. Of course, Fiji finds it like nearly immediately. She gets on this website called Dahlia's. Dahlia's, Dahlia's. I'm going to say that one. And puts up uh, her post. She's just like, hey. She puts out all her business on this post too. It's not like, hey, asking for a friend. It's just straight up, listen, I'm cursed. I love this man, but we can't be together. What can I do to get this curse off me? <laughs> like all, all just full go, full stream ahead go. She posts it. Immediately after she posts it, there's a response saying, you don't belong here. And then the website goes dead. Ominous. And a flag, I would say. But Fiji's just mad that this person was so rude. And now she's gonna go back to square one. And then we meet Celeste. Celeste comes into her life, just invites herself into her house, and proves that she's also a witch. And of course, Fiji's a little on edge because, you know, what the hell? But Celeste goes on to explain that there's two different types of witches. There are witches that are descendants of the Dahlia, which apparently is a good witch. And then you have witches that are descendants of the think she said Theopolis, which are dark witches. So not necessarily, I don't, she doesn't use the word bad witch. She just says dark witch and they deal with dark magic. And Fiji is of the dark witches. And of course, Fiji's like, no, no, that can't be true. And she's just like, girl, I don't have the time. So like <laughs> review what you need, accept the, accept the darkness, you know, join our dark coven type of thing situation. And we can save Bobo or don't and watch him die. Like, I don't have to fight with you. Leaves a card, <laughs> continues on her way. It's very Sabrina. It is. It's very much the chilling adventures of Sabrina and that Fiji might have to romance and or, well, she almost married a demon, but you know, but basically it's just to like embrace this dark side. And of course she's on edge of that because usually when you're talking about stuff like that, when you cross over to any of those darker sides, it's usually not a good side. It's not like, oh, we're the stable side. It's usually like, oh, I have to kill somebody and or sell a soul of some sort. So she's hesitant about that. And uh, as a parting gift, Celeste gives Fiji uh, Bobo as a human for 48 hours to kind of like basically come over to the dark side and just decide that she's gonna do it. After Fiji saves Olivia and Lem, or during that whole rescue mission, she realizes her white magic isn't enough for them to get them out of the situation they're in because a lot of dark magic was used to trick Olivia and create these fake family. So she goes into dark magic and she goes into it pretty easily. One, she gets it resolved super fast. Two, and when everything's said and done, there's not a scratch on her. She stuck her hand in the fireplace. Not a scratch on her. And she talks about how good it felt. And of course, Bobo's like, flags, flags on the play. All kinds of flags, warning signs, this is terrible. They get back to the house and they're talking. 
And she's like, I think this is a really good plan. I think I need to join the Dark Witches and we'll come up with a way to save you and everything's going to be hunky-dory. And of course, he's like, no, bitch, because we live in Midnight, Texas. There's no way that there's not a consequence to this. Maybe we should keep looking. And she's like, no, 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 we found our answer. We have to do it this way. Otherwise, you die. And he's, and she's like, you know, because I had to use this for Olivia and Len, but it worked out fine. And he's like, that was an emergency and also a much smaller situation than trying to lift a whole family curse. So, so, and of course he was there. Was he there? No, Manfred was there. Manfred was there when uh, Fiji talked to her aunt and her aunt was basically just screaming at her, stay away from dark magic, like stay away from dark magic. What happens if you keep using dark magic? You get stuck in this like, is it a paradox? It's a terrible place is what it is. Uh, where you're you're not rested. It's like, a, it's a hell for witches. So she's like, don't use it. And here we are, first chance. First, first rush with dark magic. And Fiji's just like, I'm in. So like, okay. Clearly this is gonna lead to terribleness, but we need her to make a terrible decision in order to keep her story interesting because right now she's just an all powerful being with a boyfriend. Not super exciting for the story. So we're gonna see her make a terrible mistake and uh, see what happens after that. So that's what's going on with them. So not so much happy news on that side. We've also got uh, what's going on with Manfred. Okay, I was hesitant to talk about the Manfred situation. I'm gonna, I'm gonna still pause on that. Let's talk about Joe. Joe showed up in the episode as like a, a nice sounding board for Manfred and for Fiji. Yeah, and for Fiji. And that was, that was just pretty light. Like you see him making a weapon for Lem. Now that Lem's human, he's like, you know, you gotta be prepared just in case. I'm gonna give you something to kill with. Cause he's considerate. We don't see Chewy. We don't see Walker, so that's good. But I'm very concerned about the Chewy Joe situation and why we don't have them as a couple. But anywho, so uh, basically Manfred's going through his own thing. I am not on board with the Manfred Constance hookup. I am not, I am not on board. And we kick off seeing them like, post-coitus, they're supposed to be in like lovers, embrace, giggly side. Thankfully that gets broken up really fast by her phone ringing with, and it's Kai. And then she basically like, well, to her credit, honestly, tells Manfred, yeah, I'm not gonna leave Kai. I mean, we're in a fucked up situation and I don't even know if I love him and I'm stupid lonely uh, just being with him. But because I've been with him for so long, I don't know how to be happy. So tell you what, how about you be my side piece and we just keep it moving this way. And Manfred's like, dope, deal, I'll do it. Terrible, terrible. And then like later when we see them at the hotel, she's like full on frisking him in the hallway. Like Kai's there now, Kai is here now. She don't give a fuck. Anyway, it's just gross. And I still don't trust Constance's ass. I still don't. I'm sure she may not know exactly what Kai is doing, but they keep making references to how long they've been in a partnership. I don't think she's completely blinded to what he's doing. And I wouldn't be surprised if she there's an ultimate twist and she the one behind everything. So there's that. Um, what else we got? Oh, and we get the murder of the, of the day. So basically, as everybody knows, uh, Manfred, Okay, well, they say he's a psychic, but I'm pretty sure there's a necromancy element in here because he has control of the dead. So anyway, basically, the, uh, there's screams after fooling around in the hotel hallway. Constance and Manfred make their way down to the lobby, and we see that one of the girls that's always around Kai 
seems to have slit her wrists and has jumped into whatever this waiting pool is in the middle of the lobby and, and wrote in bloody letters goodbye on the wall across from it. And was like, this is strange. Like, this is, <laughs> this is weird. We've got the other girl who's normally with Kai, like in a corner, rocking to herself as she cries hysterically. And Kai's just looking at this girl in the water, like, I don't know, like her wrists are cut. He's like, I had no idea if she was unhappy. And of course, Manfred's like, eh, flags, flags on the play, because a lot of this is not making any sense. I have a way to get an answer. So he's like, you know, after Kai's like, this is unusual. He's like, well, let's find out what happened. Does his thing to call uh, this girl's spirit. We find out her name's Sequoia. Calls Sequoia to the fray. Sequoia immediately tells him to be quiet. Like, don't let anybody know that I'm here. And she's standing right behind Kai. So Manfred listens and he's like, well, you know, I tried my trick, but she's not showing up. And then I don't even know what kind of excuse he gives because all of a sudden he's just gone. And we see him sneaking into another room following Sequoia's ghost. And then he's trying to question Sequoia, but she can't talk because her tongue has been cut out of her face. So she just inhabits Manfred. And this is another way for him to see what's going on. And we see her in a panic, packing clothes. She turns, she looks over her shoulder and there's a bell weight just flying in the air and knocks her out. And then when she wakes up again, she, her blood is dripping out of her cut wrists now. And she looks over to the wall and the wall is writing itself saying goodbye. And then she faded out, she faded black. So questions and creepiness. Of course, Manfred's like, I don't, what is happening? So Manfred is now on the hunt. He's like, I think it's Kai. Cause she didn't want, she, cause to his credit, she is behind Kai the whole time. Just like putting a finger to her lips and telling him to shush while he's trying to find out more information. So he's like, I'm pretty sure Kai has something to do with it. I'm going to dive into more information. He goes over to Joe and he's like, he's telling him everything he found out. He's like, there was some sort of spirit maybe that came and tried to murder her. And Joe's like, well, you know, we had murderous ghosts before. And he's like, well, this one's different because he was really trying to be anonymous. And most ghosts, when they get to that level of like, let's kill living people now, they want their presence to be known. They're not secretive about who it is, assuming it. So there's that. And then they hear a creak. And of course, since Manfred's already paranoid about this invisible creature that's murdering people in a hotel, He's just like, oh, wait, did you hear that? And then Joe's like, yeah. And he's like, something's here. Conveniently, there is a green spray can available on the shelf next to him. And he sprays the air. And at first I was going to laugh in his face. But of course, it actually showed that somebody was there. So you see it kind of go around a person that puts their hand out. And this person like quickly runs out of there. And Joe and Manfred share a look. And they're like, okay, well, we need more information. Manfred goes back to the hotel he is talking to Constance and they're doing their awkward flirt thing. I'm not, on, I'm not a fan of this couple, but he uses the flirting to get the key to Sequoia's room. Okay, gets the key to Sequoia's room, goes up there and starts looking through her stuff, looking through the things, finds this weird kind of like glow in the dark blue liquid in a glass bottle, puts some on his finger, finger disappears. He's like, bingo, found it. Creepy. But I got it. And then, of course, that's where he gets trapped. So we find out that Lyric, the girl who had been rocking to herself and sobbing, was actually the murderer of Sequoia. And in the midst of their fight, now that Lyric can go full invisible when she needs to, she basically is slowly unveiling why it is that she killed Sequoia in the first place. 
We find out Sequoia find out about Kai's plan and she was not a fan. So she was trying to get the hell out of Dodge. Lyric felt that that was a betrayal because she has drunk two pitchers of Kai crazy Kool-Aid and she's, the, she's finding it to be the best and decided that Sequoia had to go because he was a threat. And like, because you see Manfred's like trying to save her off as she's trying to kill him. And he's just like, well, maybe his plan is dangerous. And she's like, nah, he said that Kai said he's not going to hurt anybody. Oh, okay. Well, as long as Kai said that, I guess it's true. What the fuck? Anyway, so she's trying to kill Manfred. Manfred's getting like a little bit of information, not enough, but enough to make him question Kai and the motives Kai has for what he's been doing. And uh, he stabs this girl in her eyeball. He stabs her straight in the face, straight in her face, in her eyeball, killing her instantly with a nail file, no less. So that was happening. It was, oh, it was a lot. There was a lot happening in this show. And that's it. We end it. And then we end the episode. What I thought was hysterical about the Manfred side is that like right after he kills Lyric, he's still chilling in her room when Kai and them like bust onto the scene and like, what happened? He's just like chilled (laughs) with this dead body next to him. Just like, well, she was crazy and she was coming after me. So she had to die. So like. Of course, Kai's like, oh my gosh, you monster, what's happening? And he's like, Manfred's just like, there's secrets in this hotel and rolls out. And then um, he goes back to Joe and he's telling Joe like what he found, why this girl was coming after him and that he recognized the substance in that bottle, that that glow in the dark blue in the bottle as the, st- the substance that comes out of Kai. When Kai is healing somebody, that's the substance he breathes into himself. He calls it monster fluid. Yeah, monster fluid or monster essence. And he figures out that Kai has some crazy plan with this monster essence. And then we see him fully spying on Kai. We see Kai go to a very ancient looking jukebox, selecting some sort of music but what it does is actually open the jukebox. He does his breathe thing where after he sucks in whatever the essence is of these monsters and or people with their ailments, he spits it back out into these bottles, which creates that little bright blue situation and stores it away. We find out he's got a lot of bottles in there, easily hundreds of bottles in this jukebox. Previews for next week show that he's trying to create something. I don't know if he's trying to weaponize this, this business or what, but he's been collecting a lot of essence and wants to, uh, clearly wants to be the one who chooses, picks and chooses who gets what and when. They're like, we need to do something. So next episode is supposed to be the team getting together so they can face off on Kai, figure out what's going on there. But a good, good episode, a nice little episode for Midnight Texas. I can't wait to see next episode. And I'm gonna be talking about the, what's coming up for Geekery in December, right after this. All right, so real quick, I was talking about the Christmas geekery that's going to be coming out. Mainly it's two things, and they're both on Netflix. So that's, well, no, I could talk about three, three things. So Aquaman technically is coming out on December, December 20th, I want to say. It's dropping. That's geekery. That's DC. A lot of the people who got to see early, uh, gave er, give early reviews on it, that got to see what it was about, have really high praise for it. I don't know if that's high praise for a DC film or if they generally just really love how this movie was put together. The trailers, I'm not gonna lie, weren't giving me a lot of hope. I want this to be a fantastic film. I'm a huge fan of Jason Momoa. He is what saved Justice League for me. 
So I'm really hoping that this pans out and is as excellent as everybody else is saying it is. So that's happening on December 20th. We've got Neo Tokyo coming back. Is it Neo? No, Neo Yokio. Neo Yokio, if you liked the Jaden Smith-led <laughs> uh, parody of what an anime is, it's coming out with a holiday episode of some sort. I don't know if it's a series of episodes or just one big one, but that's coming back to Netflix on December 7th. So that's coming up real fast. Uh, we're also going to get a holiday special for Sabrina randomly coming out of the woodwork. And that's dropping on the 14th of December. So at least a few Fridays in a row, we're getting some fantastic geek things. I'm definitely going to be talking about them when they do drop. I'm excited to see them. Neo Yokio was one of those shows where I wasn't sure what to make of it when it first dropped, but after like a second, third viewing of it, I appreciate it for what it is. It's silly and ridiculous and in no way really trying to take itself seriously at all. I can see why a lot of people are like, this is not anime, (laughs) but I appreciate it. I appreciate it for what it is. So there's that. I enjoyed Sabrina as creepy as it was. Definitely enjoyed it. So I'm definitely going to be checking out that. And I I am going to give Jason Momoa my money. I'm going to go check out Aquaman in the theater and see how that works. So that's going to wrap it up for the Curvy Geeky Fangirl podcast. Let me know if you guys have anything coming up in December geek related that you're super excited to check out. I know there's no holiday or no Christmas episode for Doctor Who this year because I don't know why. But I also am way behind in catching up on Doctor Who. So I'll probably just use that the holiday to catch up on all the Doctor Who and finally do my standalone Doctor Who episode. Um, but yeah, so as always, you guys can catch me on all the things, the Instagram, the Twitters, over at curvygeekyfangirl.com. You can catch me on forallnerds.com. I've got a bunch of posts up there as well. And um, as always, uh, hit me up. Let me know what you guys think about all the stuff I'm talking about. If you got feelings on any of the shows that I also shared with you, if you're listening on Anchor, there's a way to leave a message and then I may be able to play it on the next podcast. Just saying. But otherwise, I hope you guys have a great week. Bye.